The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to the Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. Any believer's life will go epic when they discover the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining our podcast today as we unfold more of the truths of who you are in Christ. The Believer Going Epic. We must be aware, very, very aware, of the self-dramatized speculations of over-spiritualizing the blood of Jesus. It's a huge problem. This has often been a result of taking the Old Testament elements and pushing them beyond the pictorial meaning and thus developing one's own theology or theories around a self-life interpretation of the blood of Jesus. How many times have you heard someone praying, saying, I pray the blood of Jesus over whatever? Is it somehow bringing the blood off the cross, recommissioning it with some kind of power, and pouring it over a situation or a person? To receive healing when it was already promised to start with? And how many times have we prayed for something that God has already said, I've given you the answer to? Why do we why do we do that? Why do we remind God that He has disappointed us and not brought us healing and not brought us power? not brought us strength, not brought us whatever it is that we're asking for. And somehow the church has come up with some terminology, this self-theology stuff that if we just plead the blood of Jesus over something or someone, we'll regain that power instead of just living and walking in it. The truth is the sacrificial elements of the blood in the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus. He became all the elements in the blood correlations that were in the Old Testament. He became absolutely all of it in his personhood. Not in his blood, in his personhood. Blood of Jesus is foundational in the redemption process of salvation. And all of us have to agree with that. Without the shedding of Jesus' blood, we wouldn't be sitting here. If Jesus did not come and give his life to give you life, the earth would already be over. It would not have lasted this long. So the fact that the Old Testament investment that God made to bring us to the point 
of Jesus fulfilling all the requirements of blood in his personhood is what launched a brand new era for the world. It's called the Age of Grace. If you took the Christians off the face of the earth right now, if the rapture took place tonight, how long would it take to bring complete destruction to this world? Seven years. That's all we would get out of it. Of course, we wouldn't even get that if we're indwelt believers. Now you think about that as we go into our teaching today is that if the presence of Christians was not here tomorrow, what would happen to the world? Now here's the deal. The first three and a half years of that seven years, peace, peace, but there is no peace, as Isaiah said. The second half of these seven years, three and a half years, what's it going to be like? It's going to be what they call hell on earth. You will see, well, we won't. But anyone who is not indwell, born again, Christian, will see the most depraved things any movie producer could ever imagine putting into a movie. That is nothing compared to the depravity that will enter the world those three and a half years. How long was Jesus' ministry? Three and a half years. Of course, that was an accident, wasn't it? You see, his ministry of three and a half years was the Lamb. And after he died on the cross, was put into the tomb, where did he go from there? To heaven? He descended to the lower parts of Hades. We don't know what that looks like. Movie people have come up with some clever ideas. But there is no way that any human could even guess how dark that place was that he went. And how long did he have to stay there? Three days. And when he shot forth out of that darkness, and the angels rolled that stone away, and he came out of that tomb, and he experienced resurrection life, he went from, lion, from Lamb of God to the Lion of Judah. Satan has replicated that and turned the first three and a half years into peace, peace, peace. There will be global peace. Everyone will get along. All the, all the religions are going to get along. It will be a beautiful time for an unbeliever. And then the second three and a half is going to be a different story. That is when Satan... The first three and a half, he will require no submission out of people. None. You submit to your own God. Authority will be pretty much non-existent. People will not be forced to submit to authority. That is a setup for the second three and a half years. In the second three and a half years, 
He will require every human, every demonic being, anything that has life and breath, to submit to him, to bow and worship him. And if they do not, they are slaughtered. Slowly. That's what it's going to look like. So this whole movement, listeners, listen very carefully at 602-292-2982. People love this topic of the end times. But my experience is they have no clue what to do with it. But here's the deal, listener, is that this movement that we are experiencing today of do not, you do not have to submit to any authority. The removing authority from the church, the removing authority from, from communities, the, remove, the removing authority everywhere, little at a time. It's for one simple purpose, is to force submission. And that's the piece that the anti-authority people are not going to expect. Have you ever had someone bite you? Can you imagine some sharp, Tooth creature biting on you forever. That's called gnashing of teeth forever and ever while you're sitting on a cook stove that's fully inflamed, burning, burning, burning forever at 602 292 2982. Burning and never getting charred. Just the pain of the burn and the gnashing of teeth. Why? Because they thought they can take anything that Satan's got to dish out. Here's a surprise, listeners. That's not Satan's game. That's God's game. This is not Satan doing this to his people. He himself has to suffer this for eternity. So that's the reality of people who do not understand the true power elements of the blood of Jesus Christ and what it was for. And you claim it, stab it, and slab it all day long, and you're not getting any power out of his blood. Not one ounce of power out of Jesus' blood unless you drink it. Unless you receive that life. You pour that life into you. It's called what again? Fruity, tooty, that and duty. It's called salvation. It's called being indwelt. Blood is a person. Now let's break it down and talk about that a little bit. We do want to welcome our online listeners, those of you who are following the series. We are on 116 of Identity for Eternity, and we've been in a little mini-series. 
That is identity in the blood. Next week is going to be our last little section on identity in the blood, and then we're going to talk about a very, very epic, powerful truth of soul rest. How do we now in a practical way receive soul rest? So we're going to take those four cups that we've been talking about and bring it down to the most practical thing every single believer wants and desires every day, and that's rest. Not the first three and a half years kind of rest. Peace, peace, but there is no peace. That kind of peace is basically you starting a conflict with me, and my response to you in starting that conflict with me is, that's okay. That's, that's your opinion. Oh, opinion comes from where? Someone want to share that? Speak loudly so our listeners can hear it. Where's the word opinion come from? O-pinions. When Satan was Lucifer, he had two primary responsibilities. The first one was that he was to cover the throne of God with his pinions. Secondly, he was in charge of worship. Two things that are a problem in life today is people pulling their pinions back and showing their chest. It's called pride. That's the Hebrew word picture for pride is showing your chest. You ever seen an athlete when they make a touchdown or whatever, they beat their chest or you know, puff their chest out. It's a very natural response to say, I am he. And that's what got Lucifer in trouble. Is he opened his pinions. Oh, opened his pinions and disrobed God. He did it again in the garden. And that's why God had to come and clothe Adam and Eve. And he's been doing it since that day through lust and all kinds of sin of revealing, uncovering. Love covers a multitude of what? Sins. God covers. Satan is always about revealing. And it's destroying people. It's destroying the church and it's destroying the world. The other thing he attacks is music or media which is one of his names. One of his 13 names is Medea, which is where we get our word media. Medea is graven imagery. And that's why he uses graven imagery in kids' video games and and comic books and this superhero thing that we have been addressing now for a couple months. It's his game. Anything to get that human's mind off of the real epic story. So here's our opening statement for today. We need to turn our attention now to the positive scriptural understanding of the significance, true significance, of the blood of Jesus. Can you imagine what the Pharisees were struggling with when they heard this. 
when it is a huge issue with Hebrew law. Not to let your lips touch blood or eat raw flesh. Sorry, you sushi eaters. This was huge. Can you imagine being a Pharisee standing there listening to that? Those of you who eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have life and life abundantly? You know, not being in well, hearing that kind of thing, or even being one of his disciples, I probably would have stepped back a little bit like, Really? There was another time, remember, when Jesus said to the Pharisees, unless you become born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And one of the Pharisees said, how can a man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? You see, these are spiritual truths that are so rich. Jesus knew how rich they were. And he didn't dumb it down for the boys either. He left it mysterious because it was a piece to lead them to the next piece. And then the next one. And then the next one. You would think the disciples would have understood a lot of these things that Jesus was saying. But Peter was so distraught by the time that Jesus was arrested that he just flat out wigged out and basically denied Jesus. Well, he did deny Jesus because that's what Jesus said he would do three times. I don't know this guy. You see, they didn't have the indwelling life of Jesus Christ in them. Anyone who is listening, listen carefully. The disciples were not Christians. They were not indwelt Christians because they could not be indwelt until when? Until the Holy Spirit fell down upon them in the upper room. That is when they became indwelt by the life of Christ. Even in the Last Supper as Jesus was passing around that fourth cup, I don't think those disciples got it. I don't think they understood what was next. When you receive Jesus Christ into your mortal being, you are drinking the life of Jesus Christ. You become bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. You adopt the very identity that was given to Jesus by his daddy. This is very powerful stuff that's being revealed to us. To properly understand the New Testament reference to Christ's shed blood and death, one has to understand that the shed blood of Jesus fulfills the types of sacrificial death pictured in the Old Testament. You think God picked a lamb accidentally with Cain and Abel? No. Very purposeful. It was planned out way back then that the lamb of God was going to come and be 
the final sacrifice. Well, a question I had early in my in my Christian walk was, well, why go through all that hassle? Why go through all those years, all those generations of cutting up lambs and sacrificing their blood and all these endless stories of sacrifice? There's a lot that still wonder that. Why didn't he just come out with the punch right away? Why didn't he just send Jesus right away? You guys blew it after the ark settles down and y'all come off the ark and get the animals off the ark. I'm going to have my son appear. And I'm going to get you this first group saved, indwelt. And then we'll pick up the story from there. Hmm. Good question, really. Every single jot and tittle in the Old Testament, every single detail is revealing one of the characteristics of God the Father. Every single story. God wanted us to get to know Him as the Father first. And then he was going to give his son to us. And then as his son spoke, all that stuff that his son was speaking about would bring to remembrance all these things that have been taught to them through the generations. Everything came in its most perfect moment. The types pointed to and pictorially prefigured the sacrificial death of Jesus, particularly those of the Day of Atonement, that is obviously we've been speaking about Leviticus passage the past couple weeks. In the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, we have the true and ultimate sacrifice of the Lamb of God for the removal of men's sins. God said, there is life in the blood of flesh. Now for the the priest to bring a flawless lamb to be sacrificed is that symbol of Jesus being flawless. There was no sin in his blood. There was no sin in his flesh. His flesh, his blood was formed by who? Holy Spirit was just to someone to deliver it. What did he deliver exactly? The seed of God. You see, the woman is a bearer of the seed. She is to receive the seed. And her body is built in such a way that it provides a perfect dwelling place for the seed to do what it's commanded to do. So when you try to make woman greater than that, you have the problems we have in life today. But there's nothing, no human anywhere, no scientist anywhere can do to change this. The power of life production is in the seed. So you gay people who got married, you have to come to one of us men and get our seed. Do you understand that at 602? 
292-2982. You need our seed in order for life to continue and you to be parents. And it works the other way too. You see, this is the beauty of God locking in this principle. No matter what demonic doctrines literally consume the earth, this principle will never change. And it's the same principle of women suing and going getting their own uh, female name because they don't want to be associated with male names of their father or their father's 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 father. They want to start a fresh generation with their own name. Why does a woman drop her father's name and pick up her husband's name? Why has that always been the case for how many thousand of years now? It's a principle that locks this in place. You see, Jesus didn't have his own name. We as the bride of Christ don't bear our own name. I'm not going to heaven saying, Jesus, I'm Steve Finney. So therefore, I am choosing for you to call me Stephen Finney. We're going to be the bride of Christ. We will not have a name of a father anywhere else. Everything is wiped clean. And we bear his name because his name has our identity. And our identity is where power is. People have figured that out, though, and that's why they want their own name. is to get that power. Because there is power in the name. John the Baptist proclaims in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. In the New Covenant, we have that which is much better, not just a covering of sin, but the taking away. And that's why those of you, particularly charismatic sorts, use this concept of praying the blood of Jesus over someone. It's a covering. You're actually trying to bring back an old covenant principle. But in reality, if you listen to me carefully, In reality, what you're doing is slapping God in the face and Jesus Christ. You are denying what he did. He moved. He's the one that shed his blood and became covered with sin. In fact, he became sin on our behalf. To take away our sins. So when you're praying the blood of Jesus over someone, you are bringing back an Old Testament term and belief that blood covers. It's idolatry. Jesus came and dealt with sin once and once for all. It's done. It's taken away. Now, if you do not receive that indwelling, then it does nothing for you. You can claim Jesus, you can preach, you can do miracles, you can do all kinds of funky things in Jesus' name, but I'm here to tell you, unless the blood 
life of Jesus Christ is indwelt you, it will provide you nothing. You will stand before the living God one day and you'll say, but I, I spent my entire adult life in ministry doing all your wonderful things. And he looks at you and says, well, be gone from me for I know you not. Proof is not in ministry. The proof is in the indwelling. 602-292-2982. Let's break this down just a little bit further. Now, th this blows my mind that Jesus actually became our sin. I mean, it's just too much for this, this brain to even try to understand. I have to accept it by faith. That he actually became sin. So therefore, when we make a big deal about sin, it's mockery to him. You see, when we are being delivered from sin, it is actually you have already been delivered from sin. You just need to bring that into your reality. And that's where the appropriation of the indwelling life of Christ comes into play. The material shedding of blood was an important part of what God wanted to fulfill in the death of his son, Jesus Christ. But we must not allow the shed blood to become an excessive focus, as we've been talking about. Had Jesus shed his blood and not died, such would not have been sufficient for our redemption. I just think about that. If all this talk about blood, 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 blood was it, was enough, then all he would have to do is uh, pretty much walk away from his beatings and it would have been done. And that wasn't the case. That was the next step. You see, the whole story of Abraham and Isaac and, and you know, the command that God laid upon this father to sacrifice his own son. I mean, that was a long, long, long time before Jesus. It was a setup. The mountaintop is a New Testament principle. The burning is a New Testament principle, Revelation. All of the elements, the types within that story were needed for this story. And you see, the, the whole thing that God had to take Abraham through, God wanted Abraham to understand what he is going to have to go through as a father. The son needed to go through that so he understood. Can you imagine Isaac carrying that on from generation to generation, what that meant to him? I can. I've wept many times over that story. And then all of a sudden there's this, this ram in the thicket. Accidental? No. Ordered by God to stay put until the right moment has come. Everything about that story was for this. And God knew those rebellious, stubborn Pharisees needed all those details. 
because they would stand there and go, hmm, this all sounds really familiar. Story after story after story after story. From the hill he was crucified on, by the literally the kind of wood the cross was made of, was the same wood that was required to pick up wood and throw it into the bitter waters and it turned sweet. It's the same wood. Is that accident? Is the bitter waters symbolic for our sin? Absolutely. And there was only one thing that could get rid of that bitter sin, and that was the sweetness of the cross. What have we learned in pictorial Hebrew about the word Torah? What comes from the man nailed to the cross? Clear back when. It's no wonder they wanted to rewrite the Hebrew four times before Jesus arrived. They wanted to disassociate those pictorial, strong pictorial images because God communicates with word pictures. You're writing words down. But the only reason why you're writing words down is to create a picture in your mind. God doesn't speak English. He also doesn't speak Espanol or, or Spragimin Deutsch. That's about as far as I can go. Or Parlez through Francais. You see, all those languages are a result of an act of rebellion. Correct? What language did God speak before he dismissed the people? And put a foreign tongue in their mouth. Hebrew. That's how God spoke to us. Pictures. And they were so offensive as generations unfold, they had to change it. The number one reason the Greeks took time to write their own language which they stole from pictorial Hebrew, and I can show you that on a chart, was to remove the people from the Hebrew culture. Well, that didn't upset God too much because that's what the New Testament was written in. I had someone recently, last week, one want to know how I can take the Greek and get it back to, to uh, Hebrew. Because this person has tried and tried and tried and tried and they're well studied and whatever. I said, you're trying to take it back to modern Hebrew. Modern Hebrew doesn't have pictures anymore. You either got to take it back to Chinese. They're closer to Hebrew than any language on the face of the earth. Or you got to take it back to pictorial Hebrew. Because the Greeks took their symbols from pictorial Hebrew. Then you can read the New Testament in pictorial Hebrew. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. You see, there's this gap that the enemy has created or formed since God's creation to Jesus Christ. So the Pharisees would stand there and go, um, what you say again? He penetrated all their excuses and those scribes were the only ones alive at the time that understood pictorial Hebrew. 
Now, to me, that's blasphemy. But the enemy did an incredible job. Even the Hebrew people can't hear God anymore. I love it when I hear a theologian type say, did you know that the book of Revelation is almost 100% Hebrew? And I'm like, yes. They're all Hebrew pictures. All of it. It's amazing. But see, it takes someone to get out of their little shell, their little bubble of believing that I've got a master's degree in Greek. Well, that's a start. Now let's connect the dots. And you'll really get rich understanding. The enemy is the master degreed, the master of education. What what tree did he come from? The tree of knowledge. He's the master. The only way to deceive someone is to write a new dictionary. That's always been true in every culture, in any generation. The way you control the people is by their terms. And the enemy has done that quite well. Bloodshed does not constitute only by bleeding out to the point of death. For the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, and the price that had to be paid for redemption was actually death, not blood. The bleeding out is a part of the death. They go together. So Jesus was born without sin. He grew up without sin. He entered ministry without sin. He went to the cross without sin. He shed his blood without sin. And then the big thing happened. He became sin. So this whole time, from his immaculate conception to being birthed, to be this little lamb, to growing up, going into ministry, All this incredible investment of God without any sin being in Jesus Christ, his son. And then he turns him into sin. That's why. That was all planned out by God. Everything comes from the seed. Whether you women want to fight this or not, fight it all day long. You're not going to change a single piece of truth. Your bodies are designed to carry life and to keep it nurtured. And as it comes out of the body, you're, you're still supposed to nurture the child and care for the child and make sure the child grows up unto the Lord. Your job never changes. You become a grandparent. That's what your job is, is to nurture and care and train up those grandchildren unto the Lord. But the enemy says, no, you need to be woman. Well, what were you before? Women? How's this work? So when a woman is not married, she still has to nurture children, to grow up children, spiritual children, unto the Lord. It's no different. What are men supposed to do? 
provide life and reproduction, whether it's the church, whether it's children, whatever. It's the life cycle. Now, Jesus became sin according to 2 Corinthians 5.21. And since the wages, the price tag of sin is death as sin, he was required to drink from the cup that he did not want to drink from, remember? Abba, if this cup could pass, it's the fourth cup. One, two, three, four. One, two, three is Old Testament. Four starts and launches a brand new covenant, the age of grace. It's a powerful story. And he wanted to slide this cup past him. He didn't want to drink from it because he knew he would have to become sin. So now he's hanging on the cross at 602-292-2982. He's hanging on the cross. And he says, I'll use English, he's hanging on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Do you understand the, the power of this statement? This is the Son of God that has never not had the warmth of his Father's glow on his face. Born without sin, grew up without sin, entered ministry without sin. He did not know anything but to feel the warmth of his Father's face on his life. Now, this is a principle you're going to find difficult to understand. I don't. Because when you understand a Hebrew God, a Hebrew father, it definitely comes together rather quickly. You see, God can't look at sin. Never has. Never will. You think that was actually God that Moses was dealing with in the, in the wilderness? Do you think it was actually God that Jonah was dealing with? Do you think it was actually, these were angels. These were from Gabriel. These were messengers and they are the presence of God. You see, when Jesus became sin, God had to turn his face away from him. He could not look upon sin. The reason why he sent Jesus is because Jesus can look upon sin because he became your sin. He can look you square in the face inside you, on the outside of you, stare right at you, see your sin, and be the intercessor, be the mediator, be the pathway of you Going through, by the time you get to the other side of the cross, your perfection in Christ Jesus, if I remember correctly, is you become the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when God sees you now after you've been indwelt, he sees his son's perfection, not your sin. Jesus does see your sin. And that is hard for people to realize. But that's what was going on as Jesus was on the cross and he's saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
he felt the warmth, the presence of his father turn. And he stayed that way until the angels rolled that stone away. He was in complete loneliness and isolation in despair until the stone rolled away. He was. Any lonely feeling you have, and believe me, I have had many of those, is nothing compared to the loneliness he felt. When you do not feel the presence of the living God in your life, it is like death. And you want it back so fast. It's a horrible place to be. And that's why hell is separation from God's face eternally. It's hell. The gnashing of teeth and the burning of your rump is nothing compared to the loneliness you're going to experience. And Jesus had to go through that. He had to drink from that cup. So Jesus took our old identity, sin, became our old identity, didn't just say, I'll I'll deal with this for you. He said, I'm going to become your wretched old Steve Finney. How's that? I still don't get that. I've been teaching the identity truths most of my adult life. I don't, I don't get that. But he did it. He took it to the pit of Hades. Hades is not hell. Hell does not open up until after judgment. Hades is loneliness. It's dark despair. He dropped it off. He dropped my old identity off. He didn't recondition it. He didn't say, I'm going to come back and make you feel good, Steve, about who you are. And all you mantra Christians, where you get up every day and you look at your little card by your soap dish and you go, okay, I can do all things in Christ Jesus who strengthens me. I can can do all things in Christ strengthens me. If you're going to memorize Jesus, you need him. Jesus is not to be mantraed. He is not a Buddhist God. He is a life and he lives inside you and you do not need to remind him who he is. Just walk in it. If you want to get up every morning and look at your little card, have a scripture card there and say, that is what's true about me. Yes. And then shave. Or do your hair or whatever. (laughs) But this mantra thing is just another way of trying to tell Jesus who he is. It's idolatry. He doesn't need to be reminded who he is. And he certainly doesn't need to be reminded who you're not. Because he dropped it off. Then he came back and he placed his identity inside of us. It's a good thing that we have the mind of Christ because I don't get it. And the coolest thing about it, listener, is you don't need to get it to make it true. It is true whether you get it or not. 
It may take you 30 years to walk out until you say, I think I get it. I think I get who I am. And you're now 78 years old. Of course, it'd sound like this. I think I get it. Praise Jesus. Oh, wait. Praise Jesus in here. It doesn't matter whether you get it at 78 or you get it at 8. What does matter is that you got it. That's what matters. You think a lifetime is a long time? Take a breath. Because if you take a breath, think about this, listener. Take one deep breath and try to add up how many vapors, molecules, are in the air that you sucked in. Because he said in pictorial Hebrew that your entire life is barely a vapor. One breath of God, he can pull the entire rapture in. That's humbling. And we think we need to remind God who he is? Hello? Now that all that's done, now think about it. This is, I know we're in a me gospel world. It's me, 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 me. I need to memorize the hundred identity truths. I need to memorize the scriptures. I need to, we, we make it a me, me gospel, but the truth is he did all this for himself so that we could become his bride. Because he has to have a perfect bride. And this is how he perfected you. All of this is so we could be his bride. And that is a precious gift. And an act of grace. Here's our Hebrew for today. As if we haven't been talking about Hebrew. Sin and guilt. Hashem, which is where we get the word shame, ashamed. Aleph is strength or first leader. Shin is to consume, destroy. It's, it's in the uh, Hebrew word twice, Hebrew letters twice. And then mem, massive or chaos. Mem is the water symbol. God flooded the earth. He destroyed it. Okay? It's also a cleansing agent. But you can't be cleansed unless something gets destroyed. That's Hebrew. There's no positive Hebrew word picture for water. It's always destructive. Because it cleanses. When you drink water, you are forcing toxins and defilement out of your body. And you go pee-pee. And you're getting rid of defilement. It's what it's for. Okay? Very important. So in understanding pictorial Hebrew, the fire of the name, the fire of chaos that destroys. Now, meaning Jesus became the fire of the identity of man, sin, and destroyed its chaos, guilt. 
So he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You see, when God flooded the earth, a lot of theologians talk about it like it was, oh, God made a mistake. Because in the English translation, it does use the term, for God made a mistake. Read your Hebrew. God doesn't make mistakes. It was ordained. It was planned. It was put together by God. He literally stepped back and allowed over 900 years of demonic full control over the earth. There were demonic beings doing things with humans that we don't even want to speak of. I personally believe that's where dinosaurs came from. And I personally believe that's why he destroyed them. Or they'd still be here. But I'll have to find that out shortly. When I get over there. The vapor. But you see... He washed, he washed the earth, and he got rid of a lot of chaos, very quickly, 40 days. There's an accident for you. It's amazing to me. So Jesus came and became sin to destroy our old identity, to, de to destroy through the washing of his blood. That washing of the blood was for, as John said, for the world's sins. For the entire world. It is a beautiful story, guys. Here's our identity statement for today. It is important to note that it is not necessarily the physical death that is the most important feature of Christ's death. Jesus incurred all of the death consequences that basically Adam brought upon us. He brought spiritual death, right? He brought relational death. And he brought physical death. Got a question for you. 602-292-2982. If Eve picked that fruit the seed of destruction, as it's spelled out in Hebrew. And she ingested the seed of destruction. And then she went, and whether Adam was standing right there, doesn't matter to me, or, or if he was about 40 miles away. Doesn't matter. She made it a point to get the fruit to him. Was that weird for Adam? No. Eve's job was to feed Adam. Still happens in households today. You come home, hot meal on the table in most standard families, and it's just, it's just the way it is. There's no different back with Adam and Eve. She was to nurture him, to care for him, to feed him. So here comes this fruit. So whether he saw it or not makes no difference to me. I believe he did know it was bad fruit. And he ate. From this fruit and the seed of destruction got into his mortal being as well. Now what would have happened if Adam said, Well, I'm not eating from that uh, fruit. That's, that's, that's not good fruit. 
You know what the father said about that fruit, honey. And she's already choking and gagging on sin and starting to die. And he goes, no, I'm not eating it. Sorry. What would have happened? And God would have given Adam another helpmate. Plain and simple. I cannot tell you how many times I have been insulted in explaining that to a woman. They just don't want to believe it. Sin destroys. It brings spiritual death, relational death, and physical death. And guess what she was experiencing? I don't want to be alone here. You want to die with me? You know, misery loves company. That's what I've heard. That's what happened. And they both paid dearly for it. Can you imagine? Adam is still alive when Noah is born. 949 years later, Adam. I guess I can clock out now. You're here. I'm kind of tired. He watched the consequences of his choice. He did. 900 years. Can you imagine what his eyes saw with the demonic control over the globe? We like to draw pictures of dinosaurs. Can you imagine dealing with them? And we make them nice into cartoons, but I can almost guarantee you they weren't nice cartoons. That's what Adam had to see because of his sin. But also the positive side is to see the seed of Seth, the remnant, make it all the way to Noah. There's the promise, the remnant. Beyond the physical death, we must see the spiritual death wherein Jesus cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Matthew 27, 46. He became the firstborn from the dead. Stone rolled away. Colossians 1, 18. Revelation 1, 5. In order to become the firstborn among many brethren. Romans eight twenty nine. Likewise born spiritually from spiritual death. To understand this is essential to a full biblical understanding of the death of Jesus Christ. I get so excited getting into the Word. And when I get into the Word, I don't just open up my Bible or my resources and get all excited about definitions. I sit at my desk and I say, God, I want a supernatural revelation of the mind of Christ in me. Then I read the word. I want God to speak it in his language. And then do the studying to show thyself approved to handle accurately the word of truth. Don't read your Bibles until you pray for the mind of Christ to speak to you first. If you're indwelt. 
But if you're a brainiac that loves the Bible, just know you're going to go to hell. Sorry. You will. I know lots of people that love the Word, but they can't tell me a blasted thing about the indwelling life of Jesus. That's where it starts first. You have the Word living in you. Burn my Bible when the Word of God is still alive in me. But we've been blessed with the physical Word, the spiritual Word, the relational Word. Thank you, Jesus. Next week, we are going to talk about, we're going to finish our little mini-series here on blood by talking about the 11 points of blood. Then we're going to close that section off and we're going to dive into our new uh, Soul Rest mini-series of what comes from blood is rest. It's going to be a very practical mini-series for each of us. Those of you who are under conviction to receive Jesus Christ into your life, ah, download the PDF. There's a prayer in there. Pray over it. Read it. And then just pray whatever words that the Lord gives you for salvation. But the key is confess that you are going to hell and that you are a sinner. And you need to be saved, redeemed, and made alive through the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. It doesn't take many words to get saved. But it takes a wide open heart and an honest one. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.